I'm Terry Reed with 73 Farms in Carthage, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. We are locked, loaded, and ready to roll with another edition of Texas Ag Today. So why don't you jump on in with me and buckle up? We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, it is going to take a long time to recover from this 2022 drought, especially for cattle producers. I recently took a ride around several parts of the state and you see dried up stock tanks everywhere and it's going to take a lot of water to get those refilled. We'll have more on that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Implant technology provides a lot of benefit to the cattle business, beef consumers, and the environment. I'm James Hunt, and we'll tell you more about this on Texas Ag Today. The latest small grains, row crops, and livestock range and pasture report is out for the state of Texas. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have those details straight ahead on Texas Ag Today. The 82nd annual meeting of the Texas State Soil and Water Conservation Board is completed in Galveston with a look ahead to the legislative session and a review of projects across the state. Hello, I'm Barry Mahler, and I have the story in today's report. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Some areas of Texas have received decent rains recently, but it's going to take a lot of rainfall to get things back to normal. Driving around Archer County, south of Wichita Falls recently, I saw a lot of dry stock tanks everywhere. Yes, sir. Yeah, there's been a lot of tanks dry up. Uh, Most of the guys, when they started drying up, they were cleaning them out, as you can see. Um, A lot of them are hauling a little bit of water, and grass is pretty dry, so they're going to have to feed a little bit this winter, I think. That's Joshua Smart, the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension agent in Archer County. He says many of the dairies in his county rely heavily on wheat silage and wheat hay, but the wheat crop there is struggling to come up due to a lack of rainfall. Cattle feeders across Texas are facing a similar struggle. I spoke to Michael Besner of Besner Beef and Dalhart at the recent Texas Cattle Feeders Association convention in Frisco. He says drought is one of the many challenges the industry has faced recently. Well, coming out of COVID, we've had plenty of challenges, but, you know, the drought has probably magnified that more than about anything else. Uh, we've really struggled with forages, and it's just it's been tough drought-wise. Additionally, from a cattle marketing standpoint, we've just struggled to get our supply back in line with our slaughter capacity, uh, especially in our region in Texas. But the recent seven-year highs on fed cattle prices have made life a bit easier for cattle feeders. I think we're going to continue to work higher from here. We're finally, for the first time, kind of caught up with our marketings in in our part of the world and 
we're in pretty good shape there. It's going to continue to get a little better. Bessner takes over as the new chairman of the Texas Cattle Feeders Association for the coming year. Now, the highs we're seeing in cattle prices aren't just on fed cattle. We have a decent market right now for slaughter cows and bulls, as well as calves and yearlings. Hemp Hill County agent Andy Holloway says that makes it a great time to cull down your herd in preparation for winter. During this time, producers are really in a position to sculpture down their herds, get their very best cattle back in their pastures, get rid of those that aren't efficient or that are late calvers, any kind of issues. Now's a great time because the market's high for packer cows, for calves, for yearlings. Take advantage of those opportunities. Holloway says he's seen the same thing that we've reported on here several times. A better cattle market is on the way for those who can manage to keep their herds together through the drought. Implant technology provides a lot of benefits to the cattle business, beef consumers, and the environment. James Hunt tells how from Amarillo. Dr. Leanne Walter is a nutritionist with Merck Animal Health, and during a recent Merck event in Amarillo, she gave me a quick tutorial on the benefits of using implant technology to stimulate growth in livestock. Implants are extremely safe, proven to be extremely safe, and they're very efficacious, and having access to implant technology allows us to reduce our environmental footprint in the beef industry. How does it do that? So implants promote increased muscle growth, and so we can increase live weight, hot carcass weight, improve feed efficiency, and average daily gain with fewer resources. And so that kind of production minimizes, I guess, the number of cattle that have to be involved. Correct. So with implant technology, particularly in the fed cattle sector, we reduce the number of cattle needed to produce the same amount of beef by close to 12%. We also reduce land and water usage by close to 10%, and we reduce greenhouse gas emissions and reactive nitrogen losses when we use implant technology. Some good information from Dr. Leanne Walter of Merck Animal Health, the kind of information she says producers need to be ready to share. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves that 98% of Americans are not involved in agriculture, and so making sure that we can have a very informed and articulate conversation with people that are not involved in agriculture as to why we use this technology, what it does for us, what it does for them in terms of ensuring a safe, wholesome food product with a reduced environmental footprint are all conversations that we have to be comfortable having in the beef industry. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Texas farmers and ranchers are busy with fall harvesting and winter crop planting. Tom Nicoletti takes a look at the latest Texas Crop Progress and Condition Report. With rain falling in various regions of Texas in the middle to latter part of October, the United States Department of Agriculture's National Agricultural Statistics Service released its most recent Texas Crop Progress and Condition Report. On small grains, winter wheat and oats planting continue across the state. Winter wheat planted stands at 75% up four points from the previous year. Winter wheat emerged, reached 46%. That's down one point from last year. Oats planted reached 65%, up six points from the previous week. Two row crops where cotton harvest continues to progress across much of Texas, with cotton conditions rated 64% very poor to poor. Cotton harvest currently stands at 41%. Peanut and soybean harvests are progressing statewide. 
Soybeans harvested stand at uh, 75%. Mature peanuts reached 70%. Peanuts harvested hit 32%. And on livestock range and pasture conditions, supplemental feeding is ongoing in many regions of Texas. Range and pasture conditions were rated 62% very poor to fair. Most of the state remains in abnormally dry to exceptional drought status. In looking at the most recent U.S. drought monitor for the state of Texas, released on October 27th, exceptional and extreme drought is primarily in south-central Texas, central and west-central Texas, along with stretching from the Rolling Plains into the South Plains and in the northern panhandle of the state. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and this is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The 82nd Annual Meeting of the Texas State Soil and Water Conservation Board was recently held in Galveston. Barry Mahler has an update. Over 650 district directors from all across Texas gathered recently in Galveston for the 82nd Annual Meeting of the Texas State Soil and Water Conservation Board. The state board is charged with protecting the natural resources in Texas and works very closely with the Natural Resources Conservation Agency of USDA to achieve that goal. It's good to see the directors together again and taking care of business after going through the COVID years. And like many other organizations, everyone is excited to be together and taking care of business. A couple of highlights from the meeting include the review of work by the agency and a look ahead as to what's expected from the upcoming legislative session that begins in January. One of the projects that's moving ahead is the flood control program for the state. Now, I know it's hard to believe that a flood control program is at the top of the list when so much of the state has been in a terrible drought for months, but history tells us that a lot of droughts in the past have been broken by floods, so we must be prepared. The flood control program is funded by the Texas legislature to inspect the numerous flood control dams that were built across the state back in the 1950s and have deteriorated over the years. The dams were built for the most part of the, well, they were going to protect rangeland mainly from erosion, but in many cases now protect subdivisions with millions of dollars of property and, of course, human life. These dams have worked well for years but have received little maintenance and are in danger of failing, so must be inspected, repaired, and in some cases replaced and upgraded. The state board uses a combination of state and federal funds along with local cost share to do the work, and many have already been completed. One of the challenges at present is the impact that COVID and inflation have had on the construction industry, slowing down progress and raising prices. Adjustments are being made to help get the projects completed in a timely manner and as close to original cost estimates as possible. The flood control project is important to both rural and urban residents of the state, and seeing that it's continued with funding for the future will be a major message for legislators as they return to Austin in January. It seems there is always work to be done to protect the soil and ensure a supply of safe water for Texas. Reporting from Galveston, I'm Barry Mahler for Texas Ag Today. Texas is home to more than 30 species of bats, and there's a disease that threatens their lives. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. And if you have cats, you've probably had to deal with UTIs. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today.
Texas Farm Bureau has served farm families in rural Texas for nearly 90 years. We're pleased to offer new affordable health care coverage choices for all Texans through Texas Farm Bureau Health Plans. You do not need to be a member to inquire and apply. Plans are available anytime. There is no open enrollment period. Our United Healthcare Choice Plus network of providers is one of the largest available. For more information about the different plans, how to apply, or to get a quote for you, your family, or your small business, call 833-TX-HEALTH or visit 833-TXHEALTH.com. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. If you have cats, you've probably had to deal with UTIs. Dr. Bob Judd says the problem is not always an infection. Many cats are on so-called urinary tract foods to prevent urinary tract disease. It is fine to feed these foods, but they may or may not be helpful depending on your cat's actual issue. The foods do not prevent some of the urolists or stones, and if other causes of urinary tract disease are involved, the food may not be helpful. The other causes of urinary bladder disease in cats are infection, tumors, or a syndrome called idiopathic cystitis. Most owners call us when their cat is straining to urinate, indicating the cat has a urinary tract infection. Although this is possible, urinary tract infections are very rare in male cats and uncommon in female cats. The most common cause of urinary bladder disease in cats by far is not infection but stress. This may be surprising, but if a cat is showing symptoms of urinary tract disease, idiopathic cystitis is likely. Years ago, we believed these cats were infected as they seemed to respond to treatment with antibiotics. Now we know most of these cats actually got better on their own because that is typical of stress cystitis. Stress can be in the form of moving to a new home, feeding a new food, using a new litter, moving the litter box, or adding another cat to the home. Even the presence of a new stray cat outside that can be seen through a window by an inside cat is enough to cause this syndrome. The only method to diagnose a urinary tract infection is with a urine sample. This is the reason your vet does not want to just dispense antibiotics without examining your cat, as infection is likely not the cause. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Texas is home to more than 30 species of bats. In today's wildlife report, Jessica Domel tells us there's a disease that's threatening their lives. National Bat Week continues, and today we take a look at a disease that has led to the deaths of millions of bats across the United States. It is called white nose syndrome, and it's caused by a fungus. Roger Perry from the U.S. Forest Service and Rod Bain from USDA join us with more. There's a number of species that the populations have declined by 90% because of this disease. White nose syndrome irritates bats while they're hibernating, causing them to wake up from their sleep. The bats then expend the energy that they saved up for hibernation, causing them to leave their safe hibernation spot to find food and water, where they often die of exposure or predation. White nose syndrome was first documented in Texas in 2017. Since then, it's led to the deaths of thousands of bats. In Texas, we typically see white nose-related bat deaths in mid-February. And as Perry mentioned, bats are beneficial. They eat insects. And according to the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, they provide around $1.4 billion in pest control for Texas agriculture each year. Texas has more than 30 species of bats, and they don't just live in caves. 
Folks in Austin, Texas, know well of the Congress Avenue Bridge. They, like many visitors, also know well of the residents of the bridge, the largest urban colony of bats in North America. They have boats that come out that folks can take tours and watch the bats exiting the bridge. And every evening during the summertime, crowds of people get on the bridge to watch the bats come out to the fields to forage at night. It's quite a spectacular thing seeing all these bats boiling out from under the bridge. Bat Week runs through October 31st. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. We've seen the cattle market climb strongly higher over the last few weeks, but the market took a bit of a breather in Friday's trade. We closed mostly lower, and we saw a limit down trade in cotton. We'll check out all of Friday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. After my first car accident, I feared the biggest damage would be to my wallet. I expected a mountain of bills and a long, drawn-out process. But my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent was there when I needed her and helped me get back on my feet and in my car in no time. Instead of a hassle, I got reassurance and a quick recovery. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an agent who's there when you need them most. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. It has been a strong week for the cattle market again, but things took a breather on Friday in the futures trade and we closed mostly lower. October live cattle down a dollar two at one fifty thirty seven. December down forty two at one fifty three. February live cattle down fifty two cents at one fifty six thirty two. November feeder cattle dropped twenty five cents Friday one seventy seven eighty seven. January down seven at one eighty thirty seven. March contract actually finished twelve cents higher. It closed at one eighty two fifty seven. Cash-fed cattle market seeing even more strength over the past week. We added another two dollars to the market here in Texas. We sold cattle at one fifty, another high for this year, and another seven-year high for the market. Boxed beef prices higher on Friday. Choice up seventy-three cents, two sixty-three twenty-two. Select up two sixty-six at two thirty-four fifty-seven. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. My friend Kelly Thigpen and his granddad, Cowboy Frank Helby, own and operate Pearsall Livestock. They sell them every Wednesday. Kelly, talk to us about the sale you had. Oh, I had a good sale today, Larry. Had a pretty good run of cows. Ended up with about 550 cows, I guess. About 50 or so bulls, rest camps, journeys. Ended up 1,100 head total. Um, cow and bull market there today was... Oh, about steady. Could have been a, a tick softer. I guess 72 on the best cow today, and 95 or 6 on the best bull. Uh, had quite a few of those stalker cows in the mix, and they sold all right. The better end of those cows brought pretty decent money, kind of, oh, 13 to 1400 uh, maybe up to 1500 on some of the top, very top end of uh, some of those planer kind of cows all down there. 900 to 1100 or so. We got along pretty good there. And then uh, on the camping yarding side of things, it was sure sure something better, especially on the better end of the cattle. Uh, thought they were a little bit higher there today. Uh, two to three, four dollars in spots, especially on the lighter end of the better cattle. Uh, those kind of 350 to 
550-pound kegs. There seemed to be a little more activity on those. But uh, anyway, got thought we got along good. Had a, had a good run today. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you for the sale next week in Pierce Hall. Uh, call us there at the office, 830-334-3653. My mobile number is 334-1047. Look us up on the website. That's PierceHallLivestock.com. We appreciate it. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. And, neighbor, thank you, too, for joining us here at the kitchen table and the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network for my program, Walking the Pins. And I tell you what, I like it so much, I'll do it again tomorrow. Hope to see you then. Good day. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now, where lean hogs finished higher on Friday. December hogs up 97 cents at 86.10. February hogs up 70, 88.85. Class 3 milk steady to lower. The October contract unchanged at 21.83 a hundredweight. November milk down 14 cents at 20.25 a hundred. The cotton market sharply lower in Friday's trade. In fact, we hit limit down on the nearby December contract as traders are worried about the slowdown in Chinese demand. The weekly export sales report came out on Thursday. China did not show up buying any U.S. cotton, and in fact, they canceled close to 50,000 bales. So, of course, that has the market a bit rattled. The December, as we mentioned, down 300 points, down the limit at 72.11. March cotton down 274, 72.07. December 23 cotton down 47 at 71.16. The corn market finished slightly lower. Big news in the corn trade on Friday was that Mexico's deputy ag minister says Mexico is ready to move forward with their ban on genetically engineered corn. We close with December corn down one and a quarter, 680 and three quarters. March corn down a penny, 686 and three quarters. Both hard and soft wheat were lower in Friday's trade. December Kansas City wheat down seven and a quarter, 925. December Chicago wheat down nine and a quarter, eight twenty-nine and a quarter. In the energy markets, December natural gas down ten cents, five seventy-six. December crude oil down ninety-eight cents at eighty-eight ten a barrel. The financial markets strongly higher Friday afternoon. The Dow up eight hundred thirty-eight points, thirty-two thousand eight seventy-one. The Nasdaq up three seventeen at eleven thousand one ten. And the S&P up 96 points, 3,903. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. My name's Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A., Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.